0: Hello, and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast. Episode 4, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Super 70 is a podcast meant to sync to play along with the film we discussed. You don't have to, though, and can go on listening without watching anything. I would, however, recommend that you watch the film we are discussing before listening to the Super 70 podcast. You can download the commentary from iTunes, SoundCloud, or my website at www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm Dylan Davis. I will be using the 2005 DVD release of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which should be the same length as the 2010 Blu-ray release. It is also available on YouTube and Amazon Prime for a fee. If you press play on either DVD or Blu-ray now and press play on Amazon Prime now, this podcast should sync with the rest of the film. Like most films we're going to watch on the Super 70 podcast, and certainly with this film, nothing we say here is written in stone, and nothing we discover is finite. Film appreciation is much like the art that we enjoy. It is endless, boundless, and not tied down to any one thing. Volumes have been written about Nausicaa, and we're not going to come close to covering everything in this commentary I'm going to cover some topics that I find interesting and I will leave an exhaustive research up to you there are tons and tons of podcasts on this film and I have listened to the great majority of them and unfortunately most of them should never have been recorded. I hope that I won't repeat that pattern. We enter with Lord Yupa from the Valley of the Wind, discovering yet another village overtaken by the toxic jungle and infected in the air by what the people of this kingdom called Miasma. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is considered an animated epic in Japanese film history, much like the much more popular and much more widely read Akira. It was written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. In Japanese, the closest I can pronounce is Kaze no Tane no Nausicaa. I do not know Japanese. I am blundering my way through it. I will leave proper pronunciation up to the professionals. This film is based on the first two volumes of Miyazaki's work of the same name, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is one of the most popular mangas of all time, published in 1982. Yes, I'm aware that there are different ideas on how to pronounce the word manga. This film was started almost immediately after publishing the second volume in the magazine Anomage to the enormous sales of that manga. It opened in 1984 and it featured the original voices of Sumi Shimamoto, Guru Naya, Yori Matsuda, Yoshiko Sakakabara, and Limasa Kayumi. I'll go through all of the changes in voicing and the change over to the west in a little bit. Notice the girl in the blue dress with the wings here change over to the clouds, and these clouds look like two wings. The clouds clear, and we go into the toxic jungle. We'll go through the characters in a bit. Things move kind of slow in the beginning and quite fast in the end, so we have some time for some exposition. So what is Nausicaä really, a film based on manga? What is manga? Manga is specifically comics and the act of cartooning. But in the Western world of comic books, we use manga to refer to comics and or graphic novels originally published in Japan. There's a huge difference between comics and cartoons in the Western world, as we know it, and comics in Japan. Japanese of all ages read manga. They're not just action-adventures like Nausicaa, but there's comedy detective stories, historical dramas, horror, mysteries, romance. There's science fiction like Robotech, fantasy, etc., And I want to be clear about this for some people who may be a little bit confused. Manga is not pornography. That is hentai. So when you hear that manga is more for adults, don't confuse that with hentai. Manga takes on more adult topics and includes more complex storylines. Japanese adults have been more open to comics and graphic novels the past half century than the West. And it's only been the past ten years that Americans have really embraced comics as adults. Most Americans still think that comics are for kids. And if you're an adult who likes comics or graphic novels or whatever you define them as, you're basically seen as a nerd or a geek. And this gives rise to nerd culture, geek culture. Sheldon wearing the Green Lantern symbol on Big Bang Theory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The only thing I can relate Nausicaa to in the West is it's a cross between the Road Warrior and Lord of the Rings. And not Mad Max, but the Road Warrior with insects. And what you see here is a post-apocalyptic world In the far future, in which the world has been polluted, far beyond any human ability to do anything about it. The world is so polluted that it is being taken over by the toxic jungle. In the manga, it was called the Sea of Corruption. This jungle is filled with insects that are themselves toxic and spread miasma, and they are very dangerous for humans to interact with. So that's why Nausicaa here is wearing a ventilator of some sort. Being very smart here, trying to get the OMU shell off the OMU. So she's an inventive person who doesn't think the way normal people would think. Nausicaa is a princess. She is Princess Nausicaa. Her father is King Jill, and he is of the Valley of the Wind. It is called the Valley of the Wind because, you guessed it, the small kingdom is in a valley in which clean air from the sea blows through towards the toxic jungle, and it keeps the valley fresh and free of toxins. Nausicaa and other humans visit the toxic jungle because it has some valuable resources humans Find and create other things out of the shell that she just took away is going to replace a windshield on a gunship. So Nasca finds this island from molten shell. The molten shell is from an insect called an omu, and this is described as the largest and most intelligent insect in the toxic jungle. I am aware of our modern concept of insects and intelligence. Remember that this is a cartoon or a manga for those of you who are instantly offended. She's now sitting in spores, and those spores are how the toxic jungle spreads. Nazca, the Valley of the Wind is the first Studio Ghibli film, though it preceded the studio. Eight of the 15 highest-grossing anime films in Japan have come from Studio Ghibli, including Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Ghibli is a Japanese pronunciation or derivation of the Italian word for wind, and it is with Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind which puts force into Studio Ghibli's sails. So, Ghibli was formed after Nausicaa. It was Nausicaa's success that made Studio Ghibli, that put feet under its legs. Look at this scene here with the flares flying all over the place, the smoke, the explosions. Amazing. And a little reminiscent of the First World War, and we'll get into that. established by Miyazaki, Isao Takahata, and Toshio Suzuki, with cash from Nausicaa. We won't go too much into Ghibli since it was established after the fact, but the design team of Takahata and Suzuki is the same as Nausicaa. Nausicaa was printed in serial in a manga magazine I already mentioned called Animeish, and you'll see a close relationship between Animeish, Miyazaki, and Ghibli. Got enough names in here. And yet, so this is Nasca being chased by the Omu, or rather the Omu is chasing. Lord Yupa, the voice of Lord Yupa is Patrick Stewart. Nazca is voiced by Alice Loman. So Lord Yupa is the brother of King Jill. of the valley of the wind and Lord Yupa is a kind of roving trader and kind of a bit of a diplomat you get that sense in the manga he's famous in the manga everybody knows him everyone probably is more familiar with him than they are of his brother the king there is tons of aircraft in Asuka such as her jet glider which is called Maeve, but not a whole lot of landcraft. And you get the sense that not only are the kingdoms of this world very distant, but they're cut off by vast stretches of toxic jungle and wasteland. And going across this wasteland or the toxic jungle in, in mass numbers it is not wise and it's very difficult. And so Lord Yupa goes alone. Nasuka's jet powered glider here already mentioned MAVE. MAVE is another Japanese interpretation of another language word. In this case, it's the German word for gull. So the inference is wing. The glider is highly original and it captures the imagination, much like the Millennium Falcon or even the Bluesmobile. MAVE looks pretty fantastic, but there's this guy in Japan, you can find him on YouTube, who actually built one of these things and it really flies find this amazing because I don't know anything about aerodynamics or whatever but there's no vertical stabilizer so it's I find it there's no fin I find it amazing Naska's is an original anime character because she carries a rifle and she almost never uses it she carries a blade and she only accidentally stabs her uncle she gets severely angry about the staggering losses of human and insect life but she's very reticent to violate a human or an insect life in order to set things straight she always finds another way in an almost Captain Kirk Star Trek cheat the Kobayashi Maru kind of way it's one of the endearing aspects of her character and of this film so now we go into Character of Nausicaa, voiced originally by Sumi Shimamoto, but in this version she was dubbed in 2005 by Alison Loman. I've listened to several people complain about this, but I don't see the big deal. You notice that she's still missing one of the shells in her jacket. Attention to detail. It's the Miyazaki way. You may remember Allison Lohman from Matchstick Men, the Ridley Scott film, with Nicolas Cage. So who is Nausicaa? Historically, Nausicaa was a princess in Homer's Odyssey. Near the end of the Odyssey, the goddess Athena sneaks into King Alkino's palace and tells his daughter, Princess Nausicaa, to go to the beach with her maids to wash their clothes. Odysseus washes up on this very same beach. It's a coincidence. He's just come from a horrible journey. And Nausicaa gives him food and clothing and shelter and nurses him back to health. Then she sends him on to Queen Arete to help him get back home. There's nothing romantic between the two really, but Odysseus is a bit love-struck, and there's a ton of unrequited love. It is it is an undercurrent. It's not overstated. Her parents were afraid that she would fall in love with a foreigner, and so they got him the hell out of there as fast as they could. I guess they could tell that he added in for her. Some say Nausicaa never married, and some say she married Odysseus's son, but The notion of her and this history caught Miyazaki's attention and he became very fascinated by her probably as Odysseus was and he read a a certain book on, on Nausicaa from Homer and he found that more interesting than Homer Miyazaki related Nausicaa to The Princess Who Loved Insects, which is a Japanese heroine from the tales of times now past, or in Japanese, bear with me, Kanjaku Managatari. He mentions this in the Bound edition of Nausicaä. He mentions her connection with nature, and I'll get into the East-West differences in a bit, but Miyazaki tells us how this connection to nature is not strange or weird or abnormal in modern Japanese culture. He considered Nausicaä that you see to be the adult version of both of those princesses, even though Nausicaä in the film is is quite young. You know, she is definitely a teenager. If you're enraptured by Nausicaä as Miyazaki was, or as I am from the age of 12 or so, then you are continuing a fine tradition. I'm not going to go into a very extended oratory on the differences between Japanese and English and all the problems in translation, but there is a lot missed here. Here is the Valley of the Wind. And don't get me wrong, in my opinion, this translation and this version is great for the story. I don't speak Japanese. I don't understand Romanji or whatever it is. But compared to the original English overdub in 1985 version, the one that we have now is gold. But there are still some issues. The first issue is one that you really can't get around, and that's just a cause of the language difference. There are several scenes in Nausicaa, when she's in the fungus room, for example, when the English is just jammed out. The words are fast and the beats don't match the scene. For example, it might be time to hold stock in what's going on and be contemplative a bit in English, but it just sounds like they're just trying to say things as fast as they can because there's a cut coming up, there's a transition, and they need to move on. That's just how it comes out in English. They're not trying to hurt the movie or rush the scenes. They're just trying to be as close to the Japanese as they can. It's more than a few times, and you can easily pick these out. But again, I think it's important. I think the new dialogue and the new overdubs are impressive. And I really like them compared to particularly the first version of this film, which was really cut down by Harvey Weinstein, of all people. And it was called Warriors of the Wind. The second issue is a major issue. And that's the biggest problem, Nazca, to me, which is the Messiah issue. The English version is written with a Western market in mind, and though it's a huge improvement, it drops a lot of meanings, and it, I won't say that it simplifies it, but it just changes the meaning of Nausicaa's relationship to the environment. The film is about a lot of things, but one plot line that we follow is the nature of man's relationship with the environment, and especially animals. In this case, insects. In Japanese culture, this type of animism, which Nazca extends to insects like the omu, is not an unfamiliar motif. You'll see this a lot in Japanese literature and their concern for nature, their lifestyle and art. And this type of Eastern animism is just different than in the West. In the West, we, m- most of us in North America, we're new here. We've been here, what, three, four hundred years tops. And that sounds like a lot of time, but it's not. Four centuries in human existence is nothing. We're not ancient. In the West, as Americans, and even most Europeans, we're drifters. Most of us live in cities, especially since 1905 or something like that. Whatever. Jackson Turner decided the West was closed. We also come from a Judeo-Christian culture, and the Christian part, especially the Christian part, became extremely popular at the end of the ancient world, specifically by destroying these notions of animism and the relation to nature. The relation was replaced by a relation to God, or through the Son of God. Jesus Christ, not the cosmos, not to nature, not to the earth. That's how Christianity grew at the expense of pagans and at the expense of animism. And this has been a mostly dead phenomena in the West. The great exception to this is to Native Americans, or as they say in Canada, First Nations, or in some people would say indigenous peoples on both continents, And I'm not informed enough to tell you the difference between that and Japanese animism or the difference between that and something going on in Australia, for example. I'll only say that massive cultural identification with animism pretty much died in the West with the genocide of the natives. So they were wiped out. And this American heritage that connected people with animals, animals like the buffalo, that really just died. And if you think about it, that's not too much of a stretch. Look at an Omu. It's a really big buffalo. So with our background in the West, we see things, and the English translation of Nausicaa reinforces this good versus evil worldview This dualism that we inherit in the Japanese version. Everything would have been much more muddled. And we'll see Asbel in a few minutes, for example, he appears out of nowhere, and he starts murdering people wholesale, and then we side with him. Why exactly? In the Western sense of the world, this is very difficult to contemplate. But in the East, nothing is black and white. Every yin has a little bit of a yang in it and vice versa. So keep that in mind. Dualism doesn't really exist in this world. And here we'll see this tremendous scene of this PJ ship coming into the Valley of the Wind. Nausicaa goes back home. She sees her father, who is sick. He's been in the toxic jungle too much. Lord Yupa and Mito. Mito is with the eye patch. He's played very well by Edward James Olmas. They witness this PG-8 ship coming in, it's damaged, it's gonna crash in the Valley of the Wind and it's got spores all over it and they're worried about it infecting the valley. And of course, to the most important thing in any given situation is life and the preservation of life. And she's gonna try very, very hard to preserve as much life as she can regardless of who is at war with who and for what reason. Beautiful shots here. And Nasca herself has changed very dramatically in the sort of loss of the translation. She's talking to insects. She feels a kind of telepathy with the Omu. This is very weird stuff. And in the West, we tend to look at any weird person like this as someone that's super unique, super special. And we have tons of films like this. The main character is called The One or The Chosen One or whatever. Take your pick. The Matrix, Neo, whatever. But in Japan, the idea of communicating with other beings is more ingrained. It's less special. It's more animalistic in a native or aboriginal sense of the world, and it's not at all surprising. So we watch Nausicaa and so wow, this, she must be chosen or something. And you get the sense that she is the one who's going to save us from all of this. And in, in Japanese, this really would not be the case. Even though, if you read the manga, there's there's a lot of this made up of this woman in blue, Omu blood outfit that's going to connect us a, as tribes of Tolmekians and Pijites and people of the Valley of the Wind and Doroks. And we're all going to, uh, you know, she's going to bring peace to the world or bring order to the kingdom of Tolmikia and so forth. And while there is that emphasis in the Eastern culture, remember that there is no Messiah. Nausica's looking at the girl here, the Pijite princess, and he, she can tell that she's so wounded that she's not going to make it. And it's really quite sad. So, the Messiah aspect of this translation, I'm sorry I spent so much time on it, but it's really overemphasized. The greatest difference that you can see is when Nausicaa's gravely wounded at the end. We can see how she might die in an Omu stampede and the Omu bring her back either from this gravely wounded state or from the dead. And the quick jump in the West is to assume that this is a resurrection. We come from a Christian background and... Even if you're Jewish, you have a long history of Messiah, comment, and culture, and what have you. So in the West, we see this as a Christ-like resurrection. The language insinuates this, and though there are drastic differences between the original language track, what that means, and what you hear, we're led down this path by the translation It's one thing that I don't like about this film, but, you know, it's only one thing. I think it's greatly worth it. So to clarify some things going on here, to what I said before, the warship was a Tolmecian warship. It had Pidgeite prisoners on it. And this very dangerous cargo that we're going to see more and more of, including insects and spores that will spread miasma. So this is the second time that we see Nausicaa. There's that crescent-shaped island that you'll see later near the Valley of the Wind. It's the second time that we see Nausicaa calm an insect from its red state as you will, an agitated state, to a blue state. And you'll see the eyes change from red to blue. And you can make all kinds of political references or links to modern day problems. I don't care to go into a modern commentary of that nature. I don't want this podcast to be polemical at all. Historical is another matter. But there is a political situation in Nausicaa. And you can't ignore that at all. There is no name for the totality of what you see here, like Middle Earth. There's no grand name that we use to describe nausicaa's world it's just a bunch of small and large states the two largest states that we deal with in this film are tulmykia and Pegite. these are two kingdoms that have harnessed the power of military flight to dominate what is left of earth The Valley of the Wind and about half a dozen or so other kingdoms that are caught between Tolmikia and Pegite are collectively called the Periphery, because they are small kingdoms that do not have huge fighting forces. The Valley of the Wind, for example, has only one gunship, and Nausicaa is really the only warrior. The kingdoms of the Periphery owe allegiance to one or the other of these two powerful kingdoms, in order to survive. So in essence, they're like vassals. The Valley of the Wind is basically a vassal to Tolmikia. Now in the the Western sense, this vassalage is permanent and it, it doesn't really shift. But in Japanese history and culture, you'll see that vassalage is much more disassociated and you don't have these very, very permanent ties that bind. And so, this, this loose vassalage to Tolmikia means, in fact, that the valley can fight its master, so to speak. And by the way, I'll, I'll be referring to the mango for the background of the film, but I'm going to stay with the film. For most of what we discuss, I am aware, for instance, that the manga calls it Toru Mikia. And there are some plot differences, particularly in the first two books, which Noska is based on. Most of these differences we won't go into because it's just not worth it. I'll kind of paraphrase it later. So these are the skeletons and what's left of the God Warrior. This is a not an egg, but more like an embryo of the God Warrior. And Peejite has been collecting this and other weapons from below the earth. In the manga, most of what man has built that is worth anything is still below the earth. And they they bring it to the surface. So they have this god warrior. And we are meant to believe that the Peejites intended to use this In defense of their kingdom against Tolmikia, and the Tolmikians hijack the plane. So here comes the Tolmikian warships, and Nasca, of course, is going to do everything that she can to save her people, but she's going to cross a line here, and she'll she'll learn to regret it. So the night before the Tomekian plane crashes in the valley and Asuka tries to rescue this captive Pijite princess and the princess asks her to destroy the cargo before she dies. That's obviously the giant warrior. This is a bioweapon, a WMD. And one of these ended the last world war, which in the manga and in the movie is known as the seven days of fire. Here's King Jill going to his death. Completely unnecessary. So unnecessary, in fact, that in in the manga, this did not happen. I'm not sure why they did it in the film. In the manga, he died at the end of Volume 2 of Natural Causes. And it, it didn't really convey a succession plan or anything. So this guy we're introduced to for the first time. Uh, Kurosawa is voiced by Chris Randon. We'll get into him good. There's Nausicaa doing a flip there. Very similar to what Lord Yupa does here. Lord Yupa's uh saving Nausicaa's life by threatening this imperial guard who works for Princess Kushana, who is voiced by Uma Thurman. Big names in here for a film that was 20 years old, almost 20 years old when they overdubbed it. So the Tolmecans show up to look for the giant warrior, and as they are a military state, they can't do this without invading the Valley of the Wind and murdering their king. And if you see the war- warships, if they look at the warships, I see the Tolmikians as kind of like the Germans. Particularly in World War I. I won't call them fascist. They're more proto-fascist. They're more imperial. Imperial Germany. And this makes sense. Princess Kishana is the daughter of the king of Tolmekia who's known as the Vi Emperor. And he has a huge family, including three sons, who are running this war. And Kushana has a very small contingent of this army. And she goes around trying to solve problems by doing these special missions. Look at this bloodbath that Nausicaa has created. She killed all of these troops. And I, th- I believe that that's the only time that Nasca kills anyone in, in the film. In the manga, I, I don't believe that she kills anyone at all. Look at these guys. They're, they're not warriors. They're farmers and they're hunters. And the, the birth rate of the Valley of the Wind is actually declining. In the, in the manga, I believe on the first page... Miyazaki actually says that there's, there's only four or five hundred people in the valley. So Kushana probably has four or five hundred troops in this enormous tank. And you don't see a whole lot of tanks in this film or in the manga. This is not a land-to-land struggle. As we see, it's mostly waged by air. So, the Tolmékians, we learn as they're all about murder, etc. The Pijites are only slightly better than the Tolmékians because they're the ones being attacked. And sometimes I see the Pijites as, well, French in attitude. But there's obvious east west things going on. They could be related to how Japan sees itself or how. Miyazaki sees how Japan sees itself. So Kushana has a chip on her shoulder and there's a huge backstory with her father and her brothers trying to screw her over and all this stuff. And I'm I'm just going to skip that here. The old woman is basically Yoda talking about the seven days of fire. And then the Omu were stopped by... The god warriors and their corpses after the seven days of fire spread spores that led to the spread of the toxic jungle. So we are led to believe that Kushana wants the giant warrior to burn the toxic jungle, but I've never believed this. I think she always intended to use it as a military weapon against the Pijites. So Kushana has lost soldiers conquering the Valley of the Wind, and her answer to replace them is to draft men from the valley. And this is where the vassalage part comes in. She's going to take Nausicaa and her best soldiers, including Mito, as a kind of fighting hostages. And the valley will remain loyal because their princess is a hostage. She's the next in line to the throne. So they, they obey. And there is no coronation. There's not a coronation in the film. And there's not a coronation in the manga. So the people truly believe that... Their independence and their sovereignty is over. And they're not wrong. But by the end of the manga... Not that everything is set completely right. It's kind of left out in the open. But the manga does lead you to believe that this is a less of a problem at the end of, of that book. Which I think is. I think there's 16, 12 or 16 volumes. 12 issues a piece or whatever it is. It's enormous. nasco The Valley of the Wind manga is just absolutely enormous. And there's several different copies. So obviously there's the Individual Issues, which is basically just a reprint of how it was in Animage Magazine. And then there's 12, or like I said, 12 or 16 smaller volumes of which the movie is made out of Volume 1 and Volume 2. And then there is this enormous two-volume work, which uh, is hardbound and in our reading orientation is backwards. So the back cover is the front cover, and you move right to left on the page, not left to right. And they didn't move any of the bubbles. And it's once you get the hang of it after 10 or 15 pages, it's fine. You can can go that way. That's how Japanese read everything. Uh, The back of the book first, and then right to left and down the page. That's just how their language is, as opposed to ours which is you open right to left, and then you read left to right, and so forth. So it's, it's very dis- disorientating when you read it at first, but you can get the hang of it. I've been very flipped about it. I don't want to seem like a cultural asshole by saying, why can't you just make it the way that I read? At the same time, I do feel like perhaps the publisher just didn't care enough about the American market to devote the time and energy that it takes to mirror the manga and redo the bubbles. They just they just don't care. And of course there's there's Japanese words streaking across as descriptive adjectives of, you know, zoom whenever you see me go by or boom or crash or what have you, bang, biff, pow. And there's a legend in the back that says, oh, well, on this page, it's almost like footnoted or endnoted. You go to the back and, oh, that means zoom on page 32 square or whatever. Very irritating. As if I'm going to stop the narrative of the story to go to the back of the book and find out. And this is fiction. It's not nonfiction. Disrupting the narrative is very upsetting. But regardless big scene here where Lord Yupa discovers that Nausicaa has been taking spores from the toxic jungle secretly bringing them to this room she's cleaning them with fresh water and she's growing them in this room she's doing it secretly because she doesn't think anybody will understand the point is the toxic jungle can be cleansed the toxic jungle is not toxic because of the spores. So, something else is going on here. And NASA is going to find out later what exactly is going on. We will all find out later what's going on. And the message it gives is pretty disconcerting. We all try to hold on to many things from our youth. We can call it familiarity, we can call it nostalgia, we can call it whatever. I'm not very nostalgic about Blade Runner, or Office Space, or Looker. But I am nostalgic about Nausicaa, almost in a Star Wars kind of way. Which was the first film that I ever saw in a theater. It was the first anime, Nausicaa, I mean, that I had seen that was not on Saturday morning TV or Disney film. I never saw a Disney film in theater, not until I was an adult and I took my kids. And I never saw a manga in a theater until I was an adult. Or I take that, well, I did see Wizards, but that's not technically a, a manga I did see that on screen, but that's not for kids either. This was back in the day where Saturday morning you had three channels, ABC, CBS, NBC. And from about 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., that's all they had were cartoons. And it was Space Ghost and G.I. Joe and Looney Tunes and what have you. I never saw anything like this. Not even... Well, there was Voltron. And later on, I remember Robotech being on at 4 o'clock every afternoon. And that was geared to the kids who were coming home from elementary school. From about 3 to 5, they would run cartoons very shortly. Maybe an hour block of two shows for 30 minutes. And Robotech was one of those. But as far as a feature-length anime or manga... In the 80s, it just didn't exist. Not until Akira just blew the doors open. And it blew them in reverse. And Akira did for the theater industry in the West what the Watchmen did for literature. If you take a look at I think, Time Magazine's 100 Best Novels of All Time. There's only one graphic novel on the entire list, and it's The Watchmen by Alan Moore. So, Akira did the same. I think for, for 10 years or something similar to that, Akira was the highest-ranking anime's film Ever, that was that was in any kind of category of you know best best Japanese film or best manga film or best what have you. It was the only one in any ranking, whether it was one to a hundred or one to five hundred or or whatever. Noska wouldn't even rank on that. This was also really the first film that I had seen that had a female protagonist in it. And there's a shortage of films today that have a female lead, but even fewer back then in the 80s. And it seems like even when you do have a female lead, she's just crying all the goddamn time. Or she can't do anything without a man, or asking a man's opinion, or a man's permission, or whatever. The man seems to be the the cause of everything the woman wants to do. The only reason to go out is to impress a man, or the only reason to buy a dress is so that I can look good for a man, or the only reason I want to have a job is so that I can meet a man, or the only reason why I want to go to college is so that I can say that I'm intellectually equal to be with a man, or to get my MRS degree so I can meet a man to marry, and all all crap like that. This history of sexism in cinema, which goes back the entire history of cinema, and is not dead today. But not Nausicaa. She has the drive, she has the ambition, the wit, or whatever you want to call it, in a leader. And you see that, particularly in this scene. This is a TIE fighter here, this PJ TIE fighter. I don't care what anybody says. These Tomekian imperial warships. And Asbel, the pilot here, is... Blowing these things apart makes you wonder about the strength of the warships. So Kushana, also a woman, is leading these Tolmikian warships. Nasca is leading, you wouldn't call them warriors, but the farmers who want to fight for the Valley of the Wind. And This scene in the manga, by the way, was just heartbreaking. And Nasca's looking out the window and there are children falling from planes that are holding each other and they're burning and they're in the fire A little bit of cleavage there which which, you know when you're 12-13 years old really confuses you but regardless so we point this out Nazca and Kishana not only because they're women which is rather sexist we wouldn't bother pointing them out in a man if, if this were a a manga about a man. We would just assume that it's it's part of the character. And Nasca for a 12-year-old going through puberty, you know, highly attractive. Not only is she clever and she's brave, she has the features for a manga that look rather Western. She's very pleasing to the eyes. The Pijites look more Eastern if you look at Asbel. And this is the mixing of the East and West, the toro and the Pijites. That's all fine and dandy now. But in the 80s, this was rather forward, even in Japanese society, especially in Japanese society. So here's Nazca. She's immediately taking charge. She doesn't care who's in charge. She doesn't care who's leading. She's an active personality. Mito is following her. The Valley of the Wind is following her. And she's going to save the gunship not because it's a mode of violence, but it's the only thing the Valley of the Wind has to protect itself and that it can use to save other people. And here, despite the fact that Kushana is responsible for the murder of her father, Nasca respects life above all else, and she saves Kushana's life. Look at that shot right there. Right out of a World War II film. 30 seconds over Tokyo or what have you. Those huge airships look like that giant one that the Nazis built. Or I should say the Luftwaffe rather. Enormous. It would think it was the largest cargo plane ever created. And the Luftwaffe used it to run supplies from Italy to North Africa, which was actually a very short trip. However, the British had Malta and were just shooting these things out of the air. The gunship, like a lot of things in the film, looks exactly like the one in the manga. Just like the Meve, the glider. And that's a carryover from having Miyazaki and as the author of the manga and the director of the film. The similarities are right on. They're dead on. He kept the vision. Throughout the entire thing, he kept the vision. And it's all very, very enormously impressive. So while we we go into the toxic jungle here, where Nasica's making the barge which is full of the farmers pretending to be warriors who are for the valley. She's going to put her life at risk here because she wants them to do exactly what she says. And they're terrified. They don't want to lose their princess. And all these remember, these guys are old. Remember the Valley of the Wind? If you are not over 50, then you are under 10. And there's a huge age gap. And Nausicaa is just over the 10 mark. Thumbs up. Thanks, guys. Follow me. That's a leader. So there's no teenage warriors. And you get the idea that perhaps this war between Tomekia and Pjade or Tomekia, whatever... They've, they've taken all these young men away. And it's really quite sad. So these insects are, of course, looking for them. And we'll discover a little bit more about the toxic jungle in a second. So going on to a strange reality that we've touched on so far, Nausicaa is named after a Greek princess. The names that we encounter are Italian and German. We see a lot of things in Nausicaa that look Western, and we can be a bit surprised because this is an Eastern film. But we should remember that Japanese society today is not nearly as closed off as American society Past or present. We're narcissists and celebrity sycophants. All we care about is what celebrity can I see sucking the dick of what other celebrity on my iPhone as often as possible. That's all we care about. We don't know shit about Japanese culture. Or Chinese culture. Or Korean culture. Or Filipino. You name it. The most exposure that we've had actually is to Vietnamese culture, and so far we've managed to fuck that up too. One of the best-selling books of all time in all history is The Dream of the Red Mansions. And no one has ever heard of it in the West because they live in a very myopic world. But not Japan and not China. They're increasingly becoming educated On Western history and Western culture. And in the case of China. They've had a couple of centuries of. Saturation to this. And there's only been. A backlash to that. Say the past. 30, 40 years. In referencing the. The cultural revolution of the 1960s. It started in the 1960s. Japan has always been. Not that's. That's not true. Let me restate that. Since an American gunship sailed into Tokyo Harbor and forced Japan open and the Japanese decided they were either going to look forward or fall like China, they have been a very open, very sensitive society to what is happening in the West. They're very educated, particularly since 1945, the Japanese are very educated on Western classics and Western history and how the West evolved as nation states. So Nausicaa is an Eastern product, but it's very much the marrying of our two hemispheres. And that's one of its charms. Here Nausicaa is stopping Kushana from doing something just insanely stupid. She's going to calm this Omu down just like she did with the two previous insects. And the insect is going to see something in Nausicaa's past which is going to inform its decisions on how to treat Nausicaa and how to treat those around her. And of course there are some vocal cues here to when Nausicaa was a little girl. And here we see Nausicaa stripped of her blue but surrounded by a field of wheat What is wheat? Wheat is the only thing that matters in life in a world without technology. Food. Even in a world with technology, food is really the only important thing. Food and water. It's the only really important thing. And what is Nausicaa see? A tree of life. But there are no trees anymore. There are Falling, and the tree is replaced by the omu. The omu is bigger than a tree. They're very similar. The tree is setting down roots. The omu is setting down roots. The omu die sets down roots for the toxic jungle to spread. And so far the humans see this as destructive. But is it really? The omus are now raging mad, but they are collecting their anger and directing it somewhere else and for the purposes of the moment we're just happy that they left the little band of the Valley of the Wind we're not really mattering at the moment of where they're going but Naska does she wants to find out she's going to get me even get out of there just amazing liftoff wow if anyone has 200, 250 million dollars lying around I highly suggest that you make a live version of Noska and the Valley of the Wind there's no way that you could get out of the running time I think this film is 2 hours 15 minutes And we've got about 59 minutes to go. But this would, so it should be just at two hours. This would be a fantastic live film, particularly today when we have so much CGI and most of what you see in movies that are that huge budget. Now, you could do this now. You could shoot this now. And by and large, you could get away with it with actors that are in these age groups. Asbel is voiced by Shia LaBeouf. And one of the most amazing things that I've noticed in listening to every other podcast on this film is that there is pretty much universal hatred for Shia LaBeouf That I don't particularly Understand I know that he's Responsible for The destruction of the Indiana Jones franchise I get That he's Dumbed up The action Genre with These very horrible Transformer films And I know that When someone who's as talented as he is finds himself within a very short period of time in his teens and early 20s with six or seven zeros in his bank account, that can go to your head pretty quick. 90 next to nothing. 18 months. You're nobody and now you're king of the world. You start doing things that the rest of the world who works for minimum wage doesn't understand. So that's the gulf that we live in now. I love celebrities. I hate celebrities. I want to see celebrities nude. I don't understand how celebrities react. Why do they rent a museum and sit in it all day with a bag over their head and cry, do weird stuff like that? And I understand that him... In his off-screen persona Or whatever he wants to call it With other people like him They get wrapped up They get into a bubble They get wrapped up in their own self-importance They get narcissistic They get surrounded by sycophants they, They wind up in these Situations where They're not very Relatable to people who are working for way less than they are. I get it. However, I I fail to see how this has any relationship to his performance. As an actor, he does bad performances. He does good performances. You can say anything you want about the Indiana Jones films. If you don't like his performance, fine. I don't see how that Informs our opinion on this performance in this film going back to the fields of gold now Nausicaa is a little girl what is she doing what does she see she's picking flowers the flowers fall away it's her father King Jill on the horse come here Nausicaa she's worried, she's small, she doesn't understand what's going on, her father's sword takes up the majority of her view where are they going they're going off to a war that they don't want to fight for reasons that ultimately don't matter to gain a level of destruction that will have no bearing on what happens She has something, a plaything. What is it? A baby OMU. They want it. She wants to protect it. And this is what the OMU sees every time they touch Nausicaa. When they connect with her, they get this instinct that she's not interested in continuing this war of destruction against insects, against the toxic jungle. She wants to find a peaceful solution. And ultimately, that's what this film is about, and that's what the manga is about finding a peaceful solution. How do you do this when, in this world, your enemy is nature? This is man versus nature, or really, in this case, it's woman versus nature. Or is it? That might be false. It's man versus nature. She's the woman who connects with nature and knows that nature is not the enemy. She's taken the spores. She's cleaned them. They are not spreading toxins. What's clean? She's in this chamber with Asbel. And what do they discover? They discover that the toxic jungle consumes the pollution of the world that's why it's toxic they take that toxicity in they petrify it and they clean it so as the toxic jungle moves across the face of the earth it cleans the pollution and unbelievable destruction that man has caused So the toxic jungle is not the enemy. The toxic jungle is only nature trying to correct itself. It's only doing what it's supposed to do, heal. It's regenerating the earth. The only question is, how can the humans survive through this cleansing process? Now, of course, these are not answers that are in this film itself. You would have to read to the end of the manga to understand that there is a place of the earth that is beyond the field of the toxic jungle, which has been cleansed and is pure, and there are people that live there, and those people have inherited powers through their ability to survive because of their connection with the insects which is how they know that this pure place exists far away, deep past the toxic jungle and Nasca finds this place in the manga and she's amazed by it and she's very heartened by it she finds out finally what the toxic jungle is doing in cleansing the earth and is creating a livable world behind but she doesn't want to tell anybody. She doesn't want to spread this news to anybody. Doesn't want anybody to know. Because she doesn't want anybody to find it. The Tolmecans find it, or the Pidgeites find it, or God forbid the Dorics find it, which is the third party that comes into play the last six or seven books of the manga. The Dorics find it, you know, the game is up. So that's skipped in this film. We only have 2 hours. We're going to spend it wisely. We're going to center on What is the earth doing? It's cleansing itself using the toxic jungle. And what can Nausicaa do? Convince everyone that killing each other over what little land is left is not the answer. The answer is to understand what nature is doing and create ways to survive the cleansing process. And there are some people that are going to be very open to this. Asbel, Mito, and at the very end of the manga, even Princess Kushana. And there are going to be a lot of people who are not going to be into this. And they are going to be the warrior lead of the tolmekians the Pijites, and pretty much all of the dorks who are going to be this, these religious fanatics. Luckily, we've got enough going on. You're not going to see any dorks in this film. So there we go. So Nausicaa reaches a state of calm, a state of ease, a state of grace. In this very pure area below the toxic jungle. And they learn that they're not going to die. That they don't have to die. And that they can go on. But Asbel has lost too much. Asbel has seen his family die. He's seen his sister die practically in Nazca's arms. He's not going to forget what the Tolmikians have done. He's got a lot of hate to get over. He's got a lot of hate to get past. And Nausicaa's going to try to bring him around. And eventually he does come around. After the fourth or fifth book. Luckily, they do this practically by the end of this movie. But in a manga, it's not that easy. But you see how Nausicaa can, can put life first. The Ptolemykians have murdered her father but she's forgiven them. She was given a break by Lord Yupa, who saved her life at that moment. And she uses that break to save Princess Kashana's life. And that is going to pay off in the end. Life is going to pay off in the end. One of my most favorite memes that I've ever seen and when I was a history teacher a million years ago in a land far far away I had this meme on my wall and sometimes I regret it and sometimes I don't it was this this guy dressed up in this plastic suit this Japanese guy and it must have been like a Japanese television show like a live television show that they do on the street and he's shaking hands with this it looks like a, a giant Furby, this enormous stuffy. There's somebody inside it. And he's shaking hands with it, and they're looking into the camera, and they're giving a the thumbs up and everything. And, and the stuffy's pink, and the guy's wearing some sort of glitter spacesuit. space suit. Looks like a cosmonaut. And there's weird people in the background. And... and at the bottom of the meme, it said, Japan, maker of weird shit since 1945. And we used to look at that and laugh And we can say a lot of things We can comment on a lot of things about What does the year 1945 mean? I mean, to the Japanese It's almost the complete submission Of their political and cultural will To A racist majority of foreign conquerors And people might argue And say, you know, it's the Total submission. I disagree. They kept their emperor. Their greatest cultural institution, their greatest political institution, was preserved. But it is quite a thing to be defeated, particularly in war. And I can tell you that as an American. I am from the South, and I grew up with a lot of people who were just convinced that the reason why things were so bad in the South was because they lost a war 130 years earlier. And no matter what you do or what you say, you can't convince these people that it's anything different. It was over a century ago, but they're just convinced. The reason that we have these problems is, is because we were conquered. If we had had our, our liberty in 1865, everything would be fine. Oh, yeah, right. Everything would just be, everything would just be perfect for sure. Right. Whatever. And you have many people saying, "Well, you know, if we had if we had won the Vietnam War, everything would have been fine." Well, read The Watchmen; you'll see that. To go back to a graphic novel, you see that that is not exactly the case. That's not really the case. Winning a war is not going to solve all of your problems. In fact, sometimes when you win a war, sometimes that is the genesis of more problems the struggle itself can be easier to solve. So when you look at Japanimation or manga or the history of Japanese art from manga into films, keep these things in mind. They're very important. It informs a lot of how the Japanese see themselves. It informs a lot of how any society creates films about themselves, how they see themselves. I'll say the German word "vergangenheitsbewältigung," the dealing with the past. And Nausicaa is a form, and Akira is a form, Princess Mononoke is a form of dealing with the Japanese past. You can take from it very different things. The, the German thing, like I'll just have to create 10 or 15 episodes to go through but Bavoltegang. I don't even know if, that, if that's something that I can tackle. But the Japanese issue in question, is, as it informs Nausicaa, the Japanese saw their nation destroyed. The only two atomic bombs dropped in the history of the world in modern warfare were dropped on Japan and hundreds of thousands of Japanese citizens died. And you can make of that what you want. You can say that they were military targets or not military targets, or they were hindering the war effort or they weren't hindering the war effort. And you can say whatever you want and whatever side that you're on, it happened. It happened. Those people died. They were incinerated in the blink of an eye. And the fallout killed tens of thousands more. And the Japanese had to deal with it. And I would imagine one of the goals that their emperor and their new government and their new ruling class and their body politic as a whole had coming out of that war was, whatever we do, let's make sure we prevent that from happening ever. Let's stop the madness And stop the destruction of human life and, very importantly, of nature. And how do we all see atomic power? Something that is unnatural. And in a mode of thinking that I know that in current environmentalism, the thinking is changing since the 1960s. There's been a a huge push to rid of nuclear power, particularly since the Three Mile accident, Three Mile Island accident, and the Chernobyl accident in the 1980s. There's been a huge push of we don't want any new nuclear reactors. We don't want any breeder reactors. We don't want the expansion of nuclear reactors. We don't want to create toxic waste. We don't know what to do with toxic waste. We don't want to store toxic waste. We don't want to put toxic waste in Yucca Mountain and leave it there forever. We don't want to destroy further nature by using something that's natural and some might say God created to store something that's inherently evil and a pollutive that could destroy everything. They don't. They don't want to do that. And now, 30 years on, people are reassessing fossil fuels and reassessing alternative energies, and they're sort of going all the way around back to, in this particular case, perhaps nuclear power is something to do. And of course, Japan has tons of nuclear power, and some might see that as coincidental, some might use the words ironic, particularly since they've had a major disaster with their nuclear infrastructure that has cost, could not even put a number of lives on it and has made the Japanese think about, well, do we really want to be involved in nuclear energy? And they're having that argument all over again. So how do the Japanese feel about nature, feel about the cosmos, with a background in Shintoism, with a background in in Buddhism, as Nausicaa flies into an army of dead insects, that are trying to cleanse the earth. How does that inform Japanese feelings on this? What is Miyazaki's point? There is an ecological argument to Nausicaa, an ecological bent. There's an environmental message in Nausicaa. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how it's going to affect the natural state of the earth. Robert Oppenheimer, I believe, was asked in 1960 what he thought of Eisenhower or Kennedy chasing a, I think it was, was it SALT 1 or some sort of nuclear talks to, to limit the expansion of nuclear weapons? I think it was 1960 and Oppenheimer said, it's 15 years too late. We should have limited nuclear weapons before they were even built. And of course he was right. It would have been much better not to have them at all from an environmental and eco- ecological standpoint. It would have been better not to have those devices at all for military purposes. Power is a separate argument. So you see in this shot, it looks kind of like conical cooling towers that she would use in a nuclear fission reactor informing us of the scene. Now, what does that say about how are you going to end World War II? How are you going to execute Operation Libya? How many hundreds of thousands of soldiers have to die in order to... You know, that's a completely separate argument. Miyazaki's point, Nausicaa's point, is... The environment suffers when you make political decisions of this nature. In the Japanese, as an Eastern society that we've already discussed. It's an ancient society. It's been around before Christ. The natives of North and South America that have been around before Christ are few and far between. There's not much we know about them. And the ideas of the connection with nature in the West, as I said before, are limited and not very well understood And not taught at all, except within a Native American framework. And I hope within Native American schools, or First Nation schools. But in Japan, these things are more present. They're more in the forethought of the mind. It's more culturally identifiable. These people take care of bonsai trees, in a very meticulous fashion, they arrange furniture in their house according to certain rules. The architecture of their roofs are to preserve a state of mind in the spiritual world. Their buildings are set to reflect aspects of their nature. And this is the society that created Nazca, the Valley of the Wind. And to keep this eastern attitude, you'll see here that this p commander of this ship, he's got a red dot on his forehead. The spiritual eye in Hindu society. I'm sure that was not what was intended, but... It is what you see. And it's not very Western at all. So Asbel takes Nausicaa back to rendezvous with this Pidgeite ship, which is full of refugees from the war with Tomikia. And he forces his own people to free Nausicaa. Almost. And we see now what humans do to each other. Another Pidgeite city is destroyed. Kushana is devoted to the destruction of the Pidgeite army. Because she doesn't know anything else. Like the Pidgeites, she is consumed by hate. Here we see the Valley of the Wind is going to be fighting back. They're upset about what's going on with Nausicaa. They want to take back the valley, take back the castle. They want their princess back. And Kurata was having a rather difficult time keeping everything in hand. The Kurata is a very funny character, and he's... In this film, he provides a lot of comic relief, and you gotta have comic relief somewhere. Tito and a few other people that give comic relief, but Kuratawa does it best. Susan, not Susan Sarandon. Sorry, he was married to Susan Sarandon. Chris Sarandon, who voices Kuratawa, does an absolutely brilliant job, and he has that glib look and that glib voice that matches it. And it's very reminiscent, I think, of his role in The Princess Bride. I've got a wedding to plan for and my wife to murder in three days. You know, I just don't have time for this That type of very dry wit, dry humor. And it is really in his face here. and Kushana comes back and he just can't believe it. It's very similar to the book. I, I will say that he is an opportunist. He's not a believer like Kushana is. Kishana is a believer. Kushana is a believer. Kuratawa is an opportunist. So Kuratawa will blow whichever ways the wind blows. And he's one of the last people in the manga to actually turn around to Nausicaa's point of view. And the only reason why it happens is because he's wounded at a certain point, almost near death. And Kushana saves his life. And then he has to witness these acts that Nausicaa performs with the Pegites. Look at this shot. That's right out of newsreels from the Second World War. And these bombers, these bombers at the... Colmikians have with the the undercarriage it looks like a Hinkle 111 very very close perception of military technology of the 1940s that Miyazaki is showing us here but eventually Kuratawa does turn around And the most cynical man, the most jaded man, the ones who don't believe, the opportunists, they're going to have to believe in Nausicaa if the world is going to be saved. And those are typically the ones who are Machiavellian, the ones that are in power. Like Kuratala, like Kushana, like the Doric Emperor, like the Vai Emperor, like Kushana's brothers. And here, of course, the, the two-woman switch. Nausicaa smuggled out of the Pegite infirmary. And they're going to get her out of there. And she's going to go off to save the world. She's going to go with Asbel. She's going to save the Valley of the Wind, but she's also going to save the Pegite people from extermination by the tolmekians And she's going to save the tolmekians from themselves. And hopefully she can get everybody on the same page. The Pijites, the Valley of the Wind, the Telmykians, and the insects. And they can stop killing each other for a change. Amazing here with these clouds and these warships fighting each other. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. the amount of art on the film the frame by frame coloring of the cells and the action of the cells i understand that miyazaki had a hand in that he not only directed that and coordinated that he he drew some of these things himself he colored a lot of these things himself one of the most amazing things about Nausicaa in a technical standpoint is you don't see a lot of repeats. And what I mean by repeats is there's a word for it. Someone more educated in cartoons and particularly television cartoons, they can describe it more aptly. I'm sure that there's a word or a process for it, but it's these things like you see Shaggy and Scooby running down the hall, in the hall and Shaggy and Scooby running their leg, it's the same 12 frames every time. It's just a repeat, repeat, repeat. Okay, I understand that they're running, and there's nothing in the background changes, and Shaggy and Scooby's legs don't change. There's not a whole lot of that in Asuka. Like, even if you see her hair in the wind, or if you see everybody fighting with their guns going off and they're rushing with their knives, there's not a whole lot of repeats here. You that way, you that way, stormtroopers, obviously they're stormtroopers. There's a lot of Star Wars in this film. These helmets are reminiscent not only of Darth Vader and the stormtroopers, but they're reminiscent of of what that was based on, which were Japanese helmets during the Second World War, Wehrmacht helmets in the Second World War. beautiful, nasuka taking flight. Anytime nasuka takes flight, it's beautiful. So Miyazaki is not interested in showing you the same thing every 12 frames or 14 frames or whatever it is. He wants you to see something different. So nasuka as a film has patterns like these clouds here, but these patterns are broken pretty frequently. Even her hair, if you watch frame by frame, her hair... Changes in the direction of the wind even though Maeve rocks back and forth even her earrings go in different directions they don't repeat a whole lot the same time over here Mito is going to take out the ship Yoo-hoo. a ship with four wings kind of like a dragon has four wings so you kind of get the idea that the the Pijites and the Tolmekians are taking their ideas of flight away from what they see around them which are the insects and that's not too different than how man first tried to fly what do you study if you've never flown before a bird how does a bird move its wings so man creates wings so they can fly like a bird, and they can't because they don't understand lift, they don't understand drag, and all of these things. But here, they are replicating nature. So man wants to be like nature. Here's Lord Yupa and his famous fight scene. This is Lord Yupa. Kill him, and you'll be famous. And this is right out of the book. This whole fight sequence is right out of the manga. It's very impressive. Rushing up the stairs. I've always thought that it's... It's always been very interesting how the Japanese warriors actually, in effect, they carry two blades. One is going to be a samurai sword, of course, and the other is going to be the shorter one, which I think is called a katana. And this is completely second nature. Japanese soldiers always carried two blades. In the West, we always think of knights in the Middle Ages. The closest thing that we can relate to, the samurai warrior, is a knight of the Middle Age. Or the medieval era. And they only carry one big heavy sword and they've got so much armor on them, they can't summon the strength to swing it anyway. It's another cultural difference. Kushana's golden headpiece here, also out of the manga, is not really a Japanese thing. It's not re- even a, a Western thing that looks very similar to a lot of things that I've seen in the Persian world before the 500s AD, and particularly ancient Persia. And I mean Hellenistic Persia. That, that far back. So there's a lot of things going on here. And on the surface of it, Nausicaä seems like this perfect individual. And that's one of the criticisms of Nausicaä that you see sometimes. And Daisy Ridley got this a lot in The Force Awakens. When that came out, the perfect girl, the girl has to be perfect or no one's going to, to believe you. You have to create this perfect woman in order to have this perfect circumstance and find the perfect woman. Where is she? And a lot of people say that this is a boring character because the character has no flaws or what a, what an insult to women that they can't have a character that's two dimensional or three dimensional and some people say that princess kushana is more two dimensional than Nausicaä. that nasca is actually a very very flat person no one could really believe that there's a girl that innocent and who has all these best interests at heart and only wants to save the world and do everything that she can to preserve life and i will say that i believe all of that to be a bunch of bullshit is not perfect In fact, in the beginning of this film Or I should say 30 minutes into this film She murdered a whole slew of Tolmekians After she lost her father When he was murdered So she's not perfect If she were perfect She would find a way to tell her fellow villagers That, hey, I'm growing spores in the basement And everything's fine And she doesn't do that Because she knows that it'll upset them she doesn't do that because she's, she's not hiding secrets because she's perfect. perfect person doesn't hide secrets. So I don't think that she's perfect. Now, whether or not Rey in The Force Awakens is perfect or not, that's a completely separate situation. So these submarines, it looks like these marooned submarines, are from the war that are referred to as the seven days of fire and they're all hiding in them because they're fearing this Tolmikian invasion or what's going to be a stampede of Omu. And has taken it to the limit one more time. And even Tito, Tito is bearing down there much like her and you see a lot of Tito's personality is wrapped up in Nausicaa this fox squirrel and then breaking through the clouds what do they see an ocean of really pissed off Omu what are they going to do this is a bad 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 situation this is the equivalent of a nuclear fallout To give you an idea of the popularity of Nausicaa, I'll refer to just one quiz, or I should say a a poll on manga films from japanprobe.com, and it's just one because I could cite 15 or 30 or whatever. I thought this one was pretty indicative. I won't call it the norm, because what is norm, particularly in film? it's not scientific it's just a poll check by the people on the website what is your favorite manga, manga film Nazca of the Valley of the Wind came in second folks second that was after Neon Genesis Evangelion okay would, would, I have not never seen Genesis I'm not interested in Evangelion I'm, does not interest me in the slightest But Nausicaa is after that. Castle in the Sky came in third. Another Ghibli film, which is amazing. Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Not the first Ghost in the Shell. That came in seventh. Full Metal Alchemist was ninth. And I'm not a fan of Full Metal Alchemist, but it's an impressive manga. The first Ghost in the Shell, which is an amazing movie, some would say that it's on par with Akira, not me, but some would say that, that was number 10. Dragon Ball Z was number 11. Princess Mononoke, number 12. Another very impressive Ghibli film. Akira, the huge bucket moneymaker that everyone knows that if you don't read or watch manga, whatever, is number 13. Not number one, which everyone thinks. Anybody know Akira? I know Akira. Everybody knows Akira. Not number one. Number 13. Spirited Away, number 14. Another Ghibli film. Howl's Moving Castle, another Ghibli film. Number 34. Cowboy Fucking Bebop is number 44. That is an enormously successful manga. Number 44. Astro Boy is 49. How much money has Astro Boy made? More than Nausicaa, I'm sure. Cowboy Bebop 2. And just as I took a poll, there are four enormous comic book shops near where I live. And when I finally broke down after 20 years of saying, you know, I am going to buy the manga for Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and I'm going to read it all, I didn't know how big it was. I went to all four of them only three of those comic book shops had Noska the Valley Win. only two of them had the bound hardcover of which I bought one from one of those stores none of the others had the individual none of them had the individuals two of them didn't have the bounds one had like a compendium but they didn't have all of the compendium volumes all of them had Cowboy Bebop All of them had every volume of Akira, sometimes multiple volumes of of Akira, two sets of one through whatever. All of them had Full Metal Alchemist. All of them had Neon Genesis Evangelion. You better bet all of them had Ghost in the Shell in whatever cover you wanted, style you wanted, Western, Japanese, what have you. All of them but it was rare if they had Nausicaa. It was rare if they had it bound. And they only had the copy that I bought. It was the only copy there. And when I bought it, I told the guy, this was the only copy you had. You might want to get another one. And the guy said, Nausicaa? Um, No, I'm not going to replace it. It's It's just not worth it. If somebody wants it, they can order it. And yet... In Japanese society, Nausicaa is second. It's huge. Look at these tracers. Amazing. Another throwback from the war. Just absolutely amazing. Starbursts, rockets. This entire sequence is... Miyazaki knows what he's doing. He knows how to cut so this is just as good as any live action film we need a live action Oscar. So these these Pijites have stolen a baby Omu they're trying to lure the Omu to destroy the Tomekians who are hiding in the Valley of the Wind. This Bijite soldier. He can't shoot Nausicaa. Nausicaa sacrifices me, Sacrifices herself. To stop. Them from. Harming this. Baby Omu by itself. Horrible crash. And here you get in a sort of. This Masonic situation that I referred to earlier. And Nasca's not, this is not easy for her. This is not some, you know, flesh wound. She's hurt bad. She's hurt bad. Shell casings everywhere. Look at the amount of detail. And in the manga, she gets up and she pulls off this machine gun, which looks like a 30 or a 50 caliber And she actually points it at the Omu. The idea being that she's going to put the Omu out of its misery. And she's going to stop the Omu from going through pain. But she can't force herself to do it. And it's this act of saving the Omu's life. And doing what she can to prevent the Omu from from dying or hurting itself. That's what ultimately saves her life, saves the Valley of the Wind, saves the Toral from being stampeded by the, the army of Omu. Here you see the, the blue blood of the Omus getting on her dress and it's staining her red dress back to blue, which it was originally before she did the switch out with the Pijite servants. Here her Achilles heel is going to go into the the acid. And it's going to change the Omu's mind. So what does Noska care about? What is Nausicaa about? What is she about? What is this film about? What is the struggle? It's about life. It's all a very nice environment. It's all very nice artwork and storyline and political motivations and the JRR Tolkien like environment of Middle Earth with these road warrior style airplanes. But really it's about stopping the madness. Stop killing each other. Please, just stop killing each other. Japan has been a peaceful country since 1945. And I know that they would like to be a peaceful country until 2045 and beyond. Japan recently changed their constitution to allow a military force to leave their borders because it previously was banned. It's a very pacifist country right now the Japanese know that they lost a war we can debate how much they know I understand that there are problems in Japanese society and in the education system and how much they understand about Pearl Harbor how much they understand about their role in occupying Korea and the invasion of China and the rape of Nanking and their culpability. Here's Noska with the gun here. So instead of pointing at the OMU, she's pointing at the PJites to force them to help her. A little bit of comedy here. Take this girl seriously, damn it. She means what she says. She says what she means. <clears throat> But having said that about the Japanese ideas of history, they have every intention of being a peaceful country. And luckily, they've got the biggest guy on the block looking after them. I mean, Japan is an ally of the United States. The United States is not going to let anybody touch Japan or do anything with Japan. Mess with Japan. That's just how it is. Japan is a very... I won't use the word progressive country, but if you go to Japan, it looks more like Hong Kong. It looks more like London. It looks more modern than other parts of the East, which look more like a third world country. And I won't name those countries for fear of being interpreted as classist or racist or modernist or progressivist or whatever label someone might say. Japanese dig pacifism, they dig environmentalism, and this god warrior is going to try to destroy the Omu army on behalf of the Tolmekians but luckily that's not going to pan out well. this is a two-hour manga. Two hours isn't crazy for manga in Japan, but in the States, animated films are not nearly as popular except for kids' films. Even Pixar, which has a huge reach into the adult population, does not draw in that much of the adult population that does not have kids. So in the American market, this was a problem. And... In the initial release, the title was changed from Noska: the Valley of the Wind to The Warriors of the Wind. About a quarter of the film was cut. This is massive, almost 40 minutes. Some of these themes became lost, such as the ecological argument, the theme of pacifism. Despite being a warrior, Nosca hates war. And it's even argued today that the original voice actors in English in the 1980s didn't actually know what was going on. They weren't coached to the film. The translation was not that good because the direction wasn't that good. And the direction was more just get it done type of direction. Get it done. We're going to put it out. We're going to make money. Miyazaki knew about the cuts and the dialogue issue, but his contract with Disney prevented him from doing anything about it. Consequently, Studio Ghibli issued a no-cuts policy for any foreign distribution. If you wanted a Ghibli film, you have to have it whole. No negotiation. This has been relaxed in some cases, but it's been a dialogue with Ghibli as opposed to just whacking everything. There's this famous story, and I don't know whether it's true or not, But there is a story about Harvey Weinstein wanting to cut Princess Mononoke and Studio Ghibli telling him in a very double entendre like wording uh, to go fuck himself. They actually sent him a I use the word actually. I don't know if they actually did it. The story is they sent him a katana with the message. No cuts. The chaos here. You can see the chaos. The stampede. The warrior. The planes. The smoke. The debris. This is an all-out war. This is a war that Nausicaa has tried for... her whole life to prevent... to stop. And it's cost her her life. It's cost her the lives of... Hundreds of innocent people. But now a lot of that's going to change. Because you're going to have what I referred to before as the resurrection. And Oumu is going to resurrect Nausicaa. Because they don't understand in their rage what they've done. Like many people do. <laughs> Kurata will awaken up in the midst of the Oumu. Yoda talking about what's going on because we're not going to understand what's going on. So Nauska hit theaters in the States in June 1985 at 95 minutes. Can you imagine this film at 95 minutes? Horrible. And that's the film that I fell in love with. That's the film that I saw on cable. I taped it on VHS and I watched a million times. A couple years later, they came out with another edition with the Studio Ghibli label on it called Nosco the Valley of the Wind, not Warriors of the Wind. I, I taped that, too, right off of HBO or maybe it was Encore. Watch that a million times. So by the time I saw it, Ghibli put lots of it back together and they dumped the American title, Warriors of the Wind, which is just crap. Because this is an anti-war film I mean, get real It's a pacifist film And the Americans call it Warriors of the Wind Very strange, tentacle-like Resurrection scene here Nausicaa is lifted by Tentacles from the Omu. She's going to be healed And we've discussed what the resurrection means already and where it comes from. It's a Western notion, not a Japanese notion. So don't get too hung up about the Masonic qualities that you see or the message that you see. That's not really what they intend. Not at all. So, there is a healing process, but this isn't so much of a resurrection process. And I don't think that there is anything redemptive going on, though you could say that other people are going to be redeemed by her belief in Nausicaa and how they are going to follow Nausicaa. The Field of Gold, the vision that the old woman has, and then the manga, it was a Doric prophecy that a girl bathed in Omu blood was going to walk in fields of gold and she was going to be the one that was going to heal the world. And the Tolmikians, of course, paid no faith in this. So a few things about the manga as we wind up here and as peace is coming to the Valley of the Wind in the land of Tolmikia. the God Warrior wasn't actually used in this battle he was saved until the last few issues of the manga where in similar circumstances it was revived but Nausicaa used the God Warrior to seal the crypt where the Doroks were very Zoroastrian image here. That the Yoda woman is seeing. Noski uses the God Warrior to seal the Dorok temple entrance, where a lot of these technologies, rejuvenating technologies, and reviving technologies, resurrection technologies, were being used and developed. And it was a spiritual temple. And she thought that by destroying this, it would set the people free in the sense that it was destroying the access to the technology that was being used to destroy the toxic jungle and to rule the people's lives. And along this this route, several just very depressing things happen. Lord Yupa is killed. Tito dies from exposure to the light of the... God-warrior. Kushana loses most of her followers. And Kuratawa comes out of it a a changed man. And as we wind up here, we... We see Kushana board a ship and, and leaving taking her troops with her, Kuratawa and Toll. Pjite's going back home. The war is over. And it all happened very suddenly. She's healed. Everyone's happy to have her back. And then there's peace in the valley. It's a very quick ending. It would make more sense in the Japanese. Here's Asbel, the Pjite sharing technology with the... The Valley of the Wind is going to help them survive a little bit better. The PJites are more peaceful people than the Tolmikians, But Learning the fly gliders. Might have noticed Mark Hamill played one of the voices. I, I remember initially seeing this. Wow, Mark Hamill is voice acting. Of course, he is a very famous voice actor and has been for decades. and That is not a surprise to anyone who pays any attention to any type of uh, anime that's been going on in America the past 20 years. He's most famously known as the Joker, actually, in most of the DC serials. So the Petrified Forest continues to cleanse the Earth, and Nausicaa now is, is going to lead the rebirth of the people to coincide with the rebirth of the planet. And for the first time in this podcast series and very rarely in film, we're going to walk away feeling and on the upswing that everything's going to be okay. And we believe it because of who Nausicaa is. She's going to make it okay. She's going to make everything all right. We hope. We pray. Fervently do we pray. That everything is going to wind up exactly the way that Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, wants it to. Not bad for an anime. Not bad for a film of any type. It's quite an astounding vision by Hayao Miyazaki. Quite an astounding everything. And thank goodness Disney had the sense enough to throw more money into the project to redistribute the film with a corrected translation or more corrected translation. And the sense enough to see that the film had a message that was endearing and important for young people to see as well as adults. I believe in Oscar The Valley of the Wind and unlike most movies that I see especially unlike most movies from my childhood that I get wrapped up in where you go back and you see, wow that really was not that good of a movie at all I don't know what I was thinking this one still holds up this one is still good it's getting better and the corrections do it justice Thanks for hanging out with me the last couple of hours. I hope you found this interesting whether you watched Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind with your commentary on or just listened to me ramble in your car. The Super 70 Podcast is brought to you by Dylan Davis. That's me. You can find me, my podcast, my books, and my blogs at www.thatdylandavis.com where you can leave a comment under the Super 70 Podcast tab. If you're offended by the interpretation of this film, please let me know by sending me an email at thatdylandavis at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please express this on iTunes by leaving a rating and a review. You can also find me on Twitter at thatdylandavis and find any of my books on amazon.com. You can find my podcast on my website, www.thatdellandavis.com, or on soundcloud.com, or on iTunes. All music on this podcast was written and recorded by Rosalind McPhail. You can reach her at www.rosalindmcfail.com. That's R-O-Z-A-L-I-N-D-M-A-C-P-H-A-I-L. Check out her SoundCloud and her other projects. This is Dylan Davis, and next time we will meet in the small town of Hill Valley.